we're glad you're here today. I want to say welcome all those two online. Thanks for tuning in with us. This is uh, the last uh, Sunday we'll have for the Ascent. Uh, this week I'll do the last video. And so we went through 15 different chapters of Psalms. Uh, they're, they're known as the Songs of Ascent. And so these chapters 120, Psalm 120 through 134, uh, these 15 songs um, are songs that were sung by people that were leaving their home villages to go to Jerusalem for these celebrations they would do three times a year. So if you were Jewish two, two, uh, a few thousand years ago, right, you would leave your home villages to go to Jerusalem for these celebrations. And, and these songs are the songs that they would sing going back. They're called the Songs of the Pilgrims, Songs of Ascent, because they're going up. They're going up the hill back up to Jerusalem. And so the idea that they're ascending. And so we've taken these 15 psalms, and we, we said one what, what of the comparisons we're making is on this, on this faith journey. If you're a Jesus follower, right, you're on this journey that God is calling you to continue to improve. We say it like this. Paul says it like this. He says that we should be on this journey allowing God to work in our lives so we become more and more like him. So we go from one glory to the next, right? So we're continually improving. So we said the faith journey is a process of growing from one degree to the next. That in life, this year should be better than last year, right? In your relationships, they should be getting better throughout time, not getting worse. If you're doing them correctly, they should be getting better, right? It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's perfect. It just means that you're working on things to improve and get better in life. And so the series is saying if, um, if we're climbing this, 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 this mountain, we need to learn some skills and some principles to help us to accomplish what God is asking us to, call, to, to do, right? Because here's the thing. The faith journey, or we would say being a Christian or being a Jesus follower, right? Um, we, the, the word Jesus uses is being a disciple. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be a disciple of him. It's, it's, discipleship is more about acquiring skills than information. So we tend to think um, reading your Bibles, going to church, we learn information, and that's good enough. Well, no, that, that's only part of the process. Really, God's more concerned with who we are becoming and who we are. So a disciple is not just learning things. A disciple is learning and practicing skills and, dis- and, and disciplines so you can begin to reflect Christ more and more to the world. So if you're following Jesus, every year you should be allowing him to work in your life, every day, every week, that you're saying, God, work in me. Help me to overcome things that I struggle with so I can become uh, more like you. I can become better, right? So it's about becoming, not just knowing. It's not just about acquiring information and taking it in, but it's actually about practicing and using that information to help you get better in life. So if you're a Jesus follower, this has been a, a, a challenge to, have, to give you some principles and skills to get better. And if you're not, if you're here, maybe you haven't been in church for a long time, or uh, this is your first time back, or um, never, never gone at all before, but you're here today seeking something better, seeking something new. Um, today, I believe that the principle we'll talk about is one that you should actually listen to and pay attention to, because this will help anybody on any journey, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. If you understand the importance of what we're talking about today, it'll help you get better in life. And so uh, we're hoping that that'll also challenge and encourage you, all right? So here's, here's before I go into today's uh, psalm. Here's kind of the, um, I guess, the tension I want to talk about a little bit before we jump into it. Is, you know, there's these uh, moments in my life where um, I, I feel like I'm the only one that is experiencing what I'm experiencing. Like I, I'm feeling what I'm feeling is nobody else has felt, felt it. Nobody else has gone through that struggle. You know, maybe it's a, a times that I feel alone in what I'm doing. Um, I feel lonely. And I can have a lot of people around me and still feel very lonely. Like um, uh, nobody else really understands the experiences I'm going through. Right. And, uh, and, and in these moments, I have the option. I can isolate and be by myself or I could open up and, and, and ask others for help. You know, in, in our society, they say that we live in a time now that there are more opportunities for more connections. Like you can connect to more people now than you ever could in, in the history of the world because of social media, because of technology. Right. But the ability there is to connect is, is it's right in front of us. But we are we're less connected than we've ever been because of technology. 
So the very thing that's supposed to help us get connected to people more has become the thing that's isolated us. In fact, it is, it is an epidemic that's happening in our nation of isolation and, um, and being unhealthy, especially emotionally, where people are struggling because they feel alone and they feel isolated. And they, and they, they, don't, they may have a, lot, you know, a few thousand friends on Facebook, but there's, there's this, this sense that even though they're, you see their life you know, hints into their lives, you really don't have a connection with them. It's a sense of connection, but it's not a true connection. And, and throughout scriptures, the Bible is very clear that we have to have people in our lives. That's an important aspect of being human is we have to have people in our lives to help us on this journey, right? Uh, so when I, get, when I get in times of feeling alone and feeling like I'm the only one that's feeling that, um, I, I also understand this, that I, it's a choice to stay that way. I can choose to stay isolated and alone in my feelings, or I could open up and say, can you help me? In fact, the times that I actually open up and will call somebody or somebody, sometimes they'll call me, which is pretty cool how God works, right? He just, he'll have them call me and say, hey, just want to check up how things going, right? Uh, what's going on? Where are you at? And, um, and I begin to tell them. And it's amazing that as soon as I release all of those emotions, all those feelings of I'm the only one, right? Well, maybe a little being down a little bit, being sad, whatever it is, or the struggle of feeling like, you know, you know, at times you just want to check out, like just go on to the next thing, you know, do something different. And they, they just, they, they, they listen and they say, man, that's where I was last week or last year or last month. And it's like, really? You, you also have that? Like, yeah, yeah, you can get through this. Let me pray for you. And it's an encouragement. And what I realize is I don't have to be alone. I don't have to be isolated. I can actually choose to open up to others. And as soon as I do and I speak it out, I feel so much better. Uh, it's kind of like um, you know, when, you, when you're sick, you know, your stomach, and you have to throw up. Everybody have that, that sense? You're like, you fight throwing up. You're like, I don't want to throw up. I don't want to throw up. And the whole time you're like, oh, this is such a horrible feeling. And then as soon as you throw up, what happens to that feeling? It's like relief, right? It's kind of like that. I hold on to these emotions, and it's like, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. I don't feel good. And then my friend calls, and like, Bleh! And then it's like, oh, I feel so much better, right? We all need friends like that that we could just like let out and be like, man, this is what I'm feeling, and it helps us because then we realize like we got all that junk out of us, and now we can move forward. And if you're ever on the receiving end, you know it's kind of like that too, right? It's like, oh, you just threw up on me. It doesn't feel very good, but I'm glad you're feeling better, right? And you, you can move on. So we need people like that. Well, here's the thing. In, in Scripture, the Bible is very clear that it is not good for any of us to be isolated or alone. In fact, God, in, in the first chapter of the Bible, God is creating things, right? He creates something. He says, it is good. He creates something. It is good. It is good. It is good. He's celebrating like, man, I, I am such a good creator. Like, this is, this is good. It's awesome. And then the first time he says it's not good is a reference to Adam being alone without anybody around him. He says, oh, that's not good. I need to create somebody to help her. I need to create another person to be able to come alongside and have community. And so he creates Eve. Right, a solution to a problem. So women, you are a solution to a problem. That's a really good thing. Sometimes you don't not feel like that, but you are. And God is saying in life, we are here to help one another. And so he's saying you don't ever get alone. It's not good right, for, for us to be alone by ourselves. Uh, there's a, a book, How People Grow, by uh, two doctors, two psychologists, Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Uh, they say this about um, our need for relationships. He's, they say this, people, people's most basic need in life is relationship. Your most basic need in life is relationship. People connected to others, to other people, thrive and grow, and those not connected, they wither and die. It is a medical fact, for example, that from infancy to old age, health depends on the amount of social connection people have. Infants and older people, they die from a lack of relationship, and those in the middle, they suffer and fail to recover from illness. They go on and say, at the emotional level, connection is a sustaining factor for the psyche, for the heart, and the spirit. Virtually every emotional and psychological problem, from addictions to depression, has alienation or emotional isolation at its core or close to it. 
Don't miss that. So he's saying virtually every problem, right, emotional or psychological, uh, from, from addiction to depression, uh, it has alienation or isolation, right, emotional isolation at its core, very close to it. So when somebody struggles with something, with, with depression, uh, with addictions, usually the, 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 the cause of that, the root of that, is we've isolated ourselves emotionally from healthy relationships. In fact, he goes on and says, recovery from these problems always involves helping people to get more connected to each, to each other at deeper and healthier levels than they currently are. Now, it go, and, and, and so in this book, it goes on and says that scientific, scientific evidence now supports this idea as well. Right? We, we see it as they do these studies, and they're, they're studying the brain and, and, and the, the, the mind and, and how we, how we um, operate as people. They, they're saying there's something about that God, how God has hard, hardwired us for community. In fact, Alan N. Shore from the UCLA School of Medicine, he reports from his research, he says this, The idea is that we are born to form attachments, that our brains are physically wired to develop in tandem with another's, their emotional communication. Beginning from words, beginning before words are spoken. So our brains begin to grow and develop through connections even before we can even speak words. Um, in other words, our, our brains develop in the context of our relationships with others and their ongoing development also. So when a relationship is healthy, it imprints into our brains a resiliency against psychiatric disorders. And when our relationship is unhealthy, it imprints into our brains a vulnerability to disorders. In fact, um, we find that relationships affect our physical and mental functions throughout life. Your relationships, they affect your physical and your mental functions throughout life. Research over and over again, it, it's trying to, to tell us that when people are trying to reach goals or, or try to figure out things in life, if they have a strong um, connected support system around them, they're more likely to hit their goals. They're more likely to accomplish things they're trying to. They say that elderly people, uh, that if they suffer a stroke or a heart attack, um, after they get if, after they go through that, if they will get into a support group, they're less likely to go to to re have reoccurring um, incidents of those things in their lives, and they're actually better. They'll recover better, right, from from uh, from the stroke if they'll join a support system. Uh, they say that our immune systems, people that have healthy relationships, they get sick less often and they recover faster. Um, they say this is a study. They said even if you have an unhealthy diet, but you had really healthy relationships, you would live longer than those who have really healthy diets but are emotionally isolated themselves. So if you had to choose, right, like unhealthy food, and somebody's like, yes, yeah, a study I can get behind, right? Eat whatever I want. So it's not the point is not eat unhealthy so you die young, you know, or earlier. Just, it's, it's just, the point is if you had to choose between the two, relationships or no relationships, choose relationships because it's, that's, the, that's the main factor in, in living even longer than people who eat really well but are isolated from others. Um, so essentially relationships affect life and performance period you know they find in, in infants if there's not a uh, a bond a, a bond that's connected to another person their brains don't develop in worst case scenarios they actually develop a syndrome um, that is called um, failure to thrive so essentially the brain doesn't wire completely so instead of firing co- correctly when they do a scan of, the, of a baby's brain that has failure to thrive syndrome there are holes and gaps in the brain that haven't developed completely just because of a lack of a bond with another person, another human being, which later on goes on in life, causes more issues of not being able to really to overcome some of the challenges that they had as, as an infant. Uh, they, they, they don't gain as much weight. Uh, they, struggle, they struggle through that, that whole development process just because they don't have a healthy bond with somebody. So the relationships around us are really, really important. In fact, we can say it like this. We need relationships to grow. They need to be quality relationships. They need to be healthy relationships if you're going to grow. So in life, 
you know, if, if, you're, um, if we're on this journey of, of trying to become the best version of ourselves that we can, to have the right people around us are super, super important. Um, there's a, a story of a, of a family that um, their kids were begging them to, to buy a dog, right? Like, please buy a dog. We want to buy a dog. It sounds like my family because that's my kids right now. They're like, buy a dog, buy a dog. Um, they, so the, the dad is like, well, we'll buy a hamster. They try to like, you know, some fish and they try different little animals and it doesn't really last very long and they, the kids want a dog. And so finally they give in, they buy the dog. It's going really good until they have family vacation, right? Like, well, what do we do with the dog now? Great. What are we going to do? And so the kid's like, we have to put this dog somewhere really nice. Like somebody has to take care of this dog. We don't want it to die or we're gone. And, and so the dad finds out about these pet motels you can check them into for a vacation, right? And they're, they're taking care of all this stuff. And the dad's like, I can't believe I'm spending money on my dog to be in a hotel, right? Well, we're on vacation. He says, I can never let my dad know that I paid money to put my dog in a hotel because my dad would never forgive me for that, right? It's just something he wasn't raised. They go on vacation. Seven days later, they come back, and the whole time the kids are missing this dog, a little cock spaniel named Lady, and they're like, Dad, we want to make sure the dog's okay. And, and so they get back, and uh, they go pick up the dog. And so the dog is happy to see them. But on the way home, they're petting the dog, and they, and, and they notice that as they pet it, like these clumps of hair just stick to their hands. And they're like, Dad, I don't, something's wrong with our dog. Like, what's going on here? And so dad's like, oh, great. I just spent money in a hotel. Now I've got to go pay money for a vet, right? And so he calls the vet, and he says, hey, we just got home. What's going on? And the vet says, oh, your dog is just shocked, right? It'll be okay. He said, just spend two hours of quality time with your dog, your family, your dog, and, and it'll be okay. And the dad's like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, this is going to work or not. But he says, we'll try it. So they spend time, and sure enough, he says, it only took 15 minutes. That before you'd pet the dog and clumps of hair would come off, 15 minutes later, if you'd pull the hair, it wouldn't even move. And, 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 and this is what he said. He says, so if, if after seven days of lack of community, healthy community, if a dog is freaking out, can you imagine what happens to human beings when we isolate from other people for a long period of time? There's this very similar effect in our lives, that when we're isolated, it's not good for us. So today, as we go through Psalm 133, it's the next psalm in the Songs of Ascent. You know, um, well, let me read it, and then we'll talk about this. So Psalms 133 says, How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down the head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon, flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. So we'll read through that, and we'll plot some principles. But here's the, the big idea for this whole psalm and the skill we want to learn. It's community. It's having the right relationships. In fact, if there was one thing that, that I wish my kids could learn from me as they get older, this would be the, if I could only teach them one thing, this would be the one thing that I would really want them to get, is that who they choose in their lives to influence them, influence them is the most important thing. Next to their relationship with God, who they choose as friends, as influences in their life 
is the most important thing because it's going to determine the quality and the direction of our life. The people you choose in your life will determine if you're going to finish or if you're going to fail. They'll determine if you're going to be healthy in your relationships or if you're going to be unhealthy in relationships. They're going to determine if you're going to struggle with addictions or you'll be free from addictions. They're going to determine if you're going to be successful or not. Successful people, they run in circles. Unsuccessful people, they run in circles. There's a connection to who we choose in our lives, the people that are speaking into us, and what we realize in life. And, and by, the Bible, it backs us up. And so this, this psalm is about community and healthy community, right? So it starts off by saying how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. When my kids get along and, my, and, and they're, they're playing in the living room, things are going well, there's peace in the house. And when they're fighting in, in the car or in, in the, the house, it just drives us crazy, right? Like just get along, like get over it, like move on, move forward. Because there's this, this tension in the house that moves in when they're not getting along. And what God is saying is when, when, when we understand community, and we're working together to accomplish things, and we're not isolated, we're not fighting against each other, but we're working in community that there's this, this peace that comes with it. There's these blessings that come with it. How wonderful, right? And here's the thing about community and relationship is it's the one thing the enemy, off the bat, right, from the start, he's trying to destroy. In fact, it's the same strategy today. He's trying to destroy your healthy relationships. He wants to get you out of healthy relationships and into unhealthy relationships because he knows if he can get a, a negative influence in your life, It'll determine the direction of your life. It'll get you off course. So the people we choose to surround ourselves with, the people we choose to influence our lives, will determine where we end up in life, right? And so the enemy is always after that. In the beginning, he's trying to break the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. It's like he, he question, makes some questions God's goodness. Uh, he, he caused them to, to make a choice to do their own thing. Uh, the very, the very uh, one of the next stories is, is Adam and Eve have two, two boys, right? And one of the boys kills the other boy, the brother. Right? Why? Because of, the, of, of a conflict, because of uh, the, the lack of the enemy moving in and trying to destroy that relationship. And over and over, you see throughout just the first, the first book in the Bible, Genesis, how relationships are, are being destroyed. Community is being destroyed because the enemy knows that if he can cause unhealthy relationships to enter in, he messes our lives up. And so over and over, he's trying to get unhealthy relationships to, to begin to form through conflict, through fighting, through comparison, through competition. And so this psalm is saying, hey, when brothers and sisters get along, when, when human beings understand that it's more important to be in a healthy relationship than just to get your way, like something amazing happens. He says it's like costly anointing oil flowing down the head and beard, right, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. This is a reference to Aaron and his sons being anointed as priests, right? Their job to, to accomplish the purpose that God has given them as the Levites, as the priests of, of the nation of Israel. And, and he pours the, the oil that goes down his whole head, down his body. And so that with the, with the, the idea of this is that God is consecrated. He set apart Aaron and his sons for something great. Well, in the Old Testament, that was Aaron and his family. In the New Testament, it says those that follow Christ, those that are Christians, they are actually, we are, we, are, we are now the priests. We are now the people who God is wanting to use to be able to bring um, his work into the world. So if you're a Jesus follower, you now have that role. And what, what's interesting about this is the picture of the, that oil is flowing down the head, down into the body. Well, the, the, the picture the Bible uses about a church uh, that Paul talks about, the, the, the metaphor he uses, is a body. He says Christ is the head of the church, and the rest of us are the body. We all have different parts, right? Some of us are fingers, and some of us are arms, and some of us are feet. And our giftings, when, when we work together, we actually move that body into, to, to accomplish good things. And so this, it's an idea that we begin to recognize and see in each other this idea that you have a special call from God. I have a special call from God. How can I encourage you in that? that you would accomplish your purposes, and somehow you would encourage me to accomplish my purposes. And together, as we work together, we're accomplishing things. 
And notice what happens when somebody when something in your life, like a cut on your arm, right? Um, in some cases, worst case scenario, like if a finger was cut off, if you left that finger isolated, like some cases they could put it back, but once it's cut off, it, it, eventually that, that finger dies, right? It no longer can live. Or a cut, if you don't address it and, and help it to mend, it'll eventually cause infections. Well, if we're compared, the body of Christ compared to, a, like uh, the church compared to the body of Christ, when you're cut or you're injured, if you don't deal with it, you affect others around you. And if you ever isolate yourself away from others, you actually are choosing death in your relationships. That, and that's what Jesus said. That's what God told Adam and Eve is when you choose your way, you choose death. Because the way of sin is always leads to death. It kills relationships. It kills the hope for a better future. And, and the enemy is always trying to say, like, like enter, let's, let's get them to uh, choose their own thing. In fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, right? So there's all these instructions. God gave Moses, the people of Israel, all these commandments to do. And then he kind of summarized it with ten, right? The first three is between us and God. Like, make sure we worship him first. No idols, right? We don't take his name in vain. The next one's the Sabbath, which is really about us and God and others. And then the next um, six are all about us and others. So if you can, like, imagine the Ten Commandments, there's some that are about us and God, our relationship, and the rest are about our relationship with God. Why? Because God is saying, don't mess up this relationship and don't mess up these relationships. If you'll keep these commands, they're going to keep this relationship healthy, and they'll keep the horizontal relationships healthy as well. So pay attention to those, right? Um, that you don't, you don't fall into, into uh, um, isolation or separation from others. You don't break that relationship. One of the things in our church, we really encourage small groups, right? To be in a small group, um, it's really important. And uh, this semester, we don't have as many as we've had in the past. A lot of our leaders are taking breaks, which is much needed and, and it's good for them to take a rest. Um, but my hope is that some of us in this room that aren't in a group or uh, you've been maybe following Christ for a while, that you would lead a group eventually. That you would say, you know what, I want to be that kind of person that leads others. We believe in groups so much because that we know the value in having community, healthy community that we can learn from and grow from and get others around us that would encourage us on this journey. In fact, one thing I love about small groups is that moment when somebody else shares a story or an incident or a feeling and the other person in the group says, oh, wow, me too. In fact, C.S. Lewis says it like this. Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. It's that moment we have that, that, that similar like or that similar struggle or we have that um, something that we can relate to, right? That's the moment that relationship begins to be born and as we understand that uh, they have something just like us, that they're very similar to us, right? Um, and I think in that, that part of the Psalms, it's really about community and, and us understanding that um, when we get along and we're in healthy community, there's this, uh, this blessing that comes with it, that God gives us an anointing and ability to say, you have a unique call. You're unique. You're special. Help me to, help, let me recognize that, right? Because here's what happens. If, if you study history, anytime there's genocide or a group of people that want to destroy another group of people, they have to turn them into something that's not human. It's a they, right? You have, they have to begin to say they're nothing like us. They're completely different. That race is inferior. Those people are not as smart as us, as smart as us right? We're better than them. And the moment they begin to choose that us and they language, they can then begin to dominate. Because as long as we see somebody else like ourselves, it's hard to manipulate. It's hard to, um, to overtake them because we realize they're just like us. And this, this, this part of Psalm is saying, pay attention because those other human beings, even though they might look a little differently, there's more similarities and differences. And we have to recognize in other people that there's something unique in them that God likes about them and loves about them. And when he died on that cross, he was thinking about them just as much as he was thinking about us. Even our enemies. He loves them. How can we see value in another human being? And throughout Scripture, that's what he's saying. Healthy community, we view other people in a healthy way. And then he goes on and says this. Um, 
So, um, oh, so Jesus says this. Let me read from, G, from Matthew 7. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So Jesus, he gives us this, this called the golden rule, right? Why don't you treat people the same way you'd want them to treat you? If you want to know what to do in any situation, Jesus says, just treat them the way you want to be treated, right? In business interactions, in, in conversations, at the grocery store, in, when you're driving down the, down the road in your car, would you treat others the same way you want them to treat you? Like if everybody acted like you, would the world be better or would it be worse? Well, choose to be better. Choose to be able to live in such a way. And what Jesus is saying is when you see others the same way you see yourself and you think of them the same way you think of yourself, the world gets better. And when you think of others as less than you and they're not as important as you, the world gets worse. So the choice, he says, is, is learn to treat others the same way you'd want to be treated. Because here's, here's the reality of that. The true condition of the heart is revealed by how we treat others in relationships. The way we treat others, right, is it, just, is it just reveals what's in your heart. So if somebody is, they speak harsh to others, they yell, they use words to manipulate, right? All that shows is there's an issue in your life that hasn't been dealt with. There's something going on in your life that you haven't dealt with, and you're treating somebody like they're, they're less than you. And you speak down to them as if they're not as important as you. Why? It's a condition of the heart. You're neglecting to see that they are just a human being like you are. And yeah, they're flawed and they make mistakes, but so are you. And he's saying if, we will, if we'll treat life like that, we'll treat others that way, life will get better. And when we don't, it gets worse, right? Sin always brings death. This is why he says lying and cheating and adultery and killing and stealing um, is so detrimental to relationships. Because it says, I'm more important than you. You have something I want, so I'm going to take it so I can have better and I can have more. And, and, it, and it's, a, it's a, a battle of us saying, when I do wrong to you, my statement is, I'm more important. And Jesus is saying, treat others the way you want to be treated. If you live that way, things will get better. So the psalmist fi- finishes with this last idea. Psalms 133 says, it's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessings and ordains eternal life. Um, so this idea, this last part is, you know, we live at a higher elevation. If you ever go camping in the mountains, one of the things you'll notice when you wake up is, is your tent has all this condensation and moisture on it, right, the dew. Uh, because the, every morning, uh, there's, there's a little more moisture up there than there's down here, and the way that works, and just you get moisture there. So when it's talking about the dew of Mount Hermon that flows down the, the slopes of Zion, this idea is that, that this happens every day, right? This, this dew is taking place on a daily basis. Here's the idea, that when we have healthy relationships, we treat others with this, this idea that there's always better for you. Like, okay, maybe today wasn't the best, but tomorrow can get better. See, too often in our lives, we begin to treat people and we have to categorize them as, you know, losers or not as good or because of the past that they can never overcome. And this idea is saying when you want a healthy community, you need to be the kind of person that believes the best in everybody all the time, in your marriage, at work, right? I believe you can get better. Okay, that wasn't the best. That didn't go the way I was hoping it to go, but tomorrow can be better. And when we have relationships like that where we're believing the best about others, we're speaking the best into others, things get better in life. So when we're treating others the way we want to be treated, when we're believing that they can get better, when we're believing that God sees them the way he sees us, that we're both human, we both have issues, things get, get better. And he ends by saying that's where God commands the blessings. So if you want to know what the blessings are, there's a healthy community. And then it goes on and says that's where he ordains eternal life. It's a hint at heaven. So when you think of your relationships, you think of those times that you laugh with friends, those hearty laughs where you just can't uh, stop laughing, that's a hint towards heaven. Healthy relationships where there's joy and there's peace and there's this idea that we're, we're wanting the best for others, right? Not just for ourselves. How we treat others is super, super important in those relationships. 
And so this psalm is pointing towards healthy relationships. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a conversation or somebody and uh, they say, where are you? Right? Maybe that's a statement of like, hey, you drifted off, right? Um, you're, you're talking and all of a sudden like your mind goes somewhere else. and like, hey, where'd you go, right? Where are you? Uh, sometimes when they ask, where are you, that, that's the, the question is like, so how's life going? Like what's really going on right now? How are you feeling? What are you, what are you thinking about, right? So when, sometimes my, if I have a friend that calls me and says, hey, where are you? Or, or how are things going? If, if I would slow down enough to really answer that honestly, I can actually overcome things that I'm, I'm dealing with. And when I don't slow down, I don't answer honestly, like just the generic, like, I'm good. Hey, let's go on. I miss out on the opportunity actually to grow through whatever I'm going through. But if they, if they ask me, Eric, where are you? How are you? How are you doing? What's going on? What they're saying is in, in this journey, all right, are you still on course or are you off course? Are you making progress or have you, um, have you went backwards? Have you begun to choose unhealthy things? And typically when we can't answer truthfully, it's because we've gone the opposite way. We've chosen to do our own thing. We've chosen to go away from what God wants us to do. We all need friends in our lives to ask us this question. Where are you? Where are you? Eric, where are you? Because really it's a, it's a question of saying, um, in life, have you got off track? I care about you enough to say, keep going, keep moving forward. And when you have healthy relationships, they're going to ask you to move forward. It's a great question, right? Because here's what happens in our, in our, in our journey is, is we get to places, all of us do, right, where we have either a limitation, like we don't have enough skill or understanding. There's just something about that stage of life that we're struggling and for some reason, we don't have the ability to get to the next stage. Others of us get to a stage in life where we're stuck. We just don't have, we have the desire. We just don't know what to do exactly. So maybe it's a limitation or maybe it's just we just don't understand what exactly it is. Either of those scenarios, it takes us to be able to reach out to others to say, hey, can you help me get over this? Help me to overcome what I'm going through. Teach me what you know so that I can go to the next level. Because here's what I know. There's people in this room, there's people in our lives that are at the next level or have gone to or have experienced it. And they can help us to figure out how to go there in our marriages, in our finances, parenting, in the workplace, in school. And if we would just look for, for influence in our life to be able to help us to get there, they'll help us on this journey, right? What is it going to take for us to get from where we are to where God is calling us to get to? And, and, and God invites us in that journey. Uh, the first week I talked about these four stages of um, – uh, well, before I go there, let me let me say this. So yesterday, uh, my family went to the rock climbing gym here in Santa Fe to go rock climbing, and uh, we're having fun climbing the wall. And um, for me, I'm I'm certified to 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 belay right to help them climb up the wall and, and and use the ropes and the knots and all that. And so I'm there, and and none of my family can belay me at the time. So um, I'm I'm the one belaying them and helping them to learn. And in the process, you know, they're climbing up the wall, and I'm I'm holding them so that they don't fall, and I'm keeping them safe all that. And then during the process, my son is asking questions about, you know, the knots and how to do things. So I'm teaching him it. So one day that he can, he can, you know, um, take the test and be certified to be able to do that for me. I would love for him to be able to do that for me. But yesterday we're doing that. I realized like in our lives, there's people in our lives that um, maybe, maybe we don't have others around us that can actually do it for us, but we can do it for somebody else. There's two aspects of, of this journey and faith journey is that we we look for people to help us to, to do something we can't do, but then we're always reaching back and helping somebody else do what we, what, what we can do. And so for my son, as he learns how to do these, learn these skills of, of rock climbing, at some point, my hope is that not only would he do it for me, but he would eventually start doing it for others. And at some point, maybe even teach others what he knows, right? Because that's what it means to be healthy in health relationships is we're giving what we know and we're, we're receiving from others that, that, that we don't have. So the four stages of Christianity, we talked about this the first week, right? On this faith journey, and, and when I say four stages, I'm not saying like just four steps. 
These are major stages that you have to work through, right? So the first stage is an unbeliever. It's somebody who says, I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know if God is good. My life is, you know, a lot of pain, a lot of things. I don't even know if I can even trust God. It's going from unbelief. The first stage is going from unbelief to belief. Saying, all right, God, I'm going to trust you on this journey. I'm going to have, I'm going to start a relationship with you. I'm going to invite you to lead me on this journey. In fact, at the end of service, if you're here today and you've never taken that step, at the end of service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, all right, I think I want to try this. I want to take that first step of the faith journey. So the first, first stage is us moving from unbelief to belief. And then we begin to trust God. And as we do that, we move from, uh, from just believing now to, to a disciple who begins to grow. So the second stage, and this, this, this takes a long time. It's not just it doesn't happen overnight. You begin to believe God, but then you begin to grow in your faith. You begin to grow and understand, right? This is the skills you begin to learn and develop so you can become what God is asking you to, to become, and you grow through it. And the third phase is that you become a disciple. Uh, you become from a disciple. You move into a leadership role where you now begin to find your purpose in life. Now you're using your life to help others. And then finally, the fourth one is now as you become a leader and discover purpose, you become become a servant to facilitate that process for others. Right. So you do one, two, three, four. You get here, and actually at this point now you're going to helping the ones that are at one or at two or at three or at four. And it's this it's this cycle that we, that we use our lives to help others. That we, we intentionally say, how do we keep moving forward? Because here's, here's the thing on the faith journey. There's two things you should be doing. You should be taking the next step towards what God is asking you to do. And you should always be helping somebody else take a step. Because there's people that are a few steps behind us that don't know what to do. And as soon as we say, hey, can I help you? I've been there before. Hey, those things you struggle with, I want to help you on this journey. You know, um, when it comes to like re- recovery groups, these are, this is why recovery groups are so important. Because you get in a community that has faced the same things you faced. And you begin to do that, and if you're ever struggling with those things, with addictions or um, um, substance abuse, you need to get in a group of people that would help to say, I've been there, and I've overcome. Because when you, when you get with somebody that's overcome what you're struggling with, you begin to learn from them, and they help you on the journey to become stronger and better. In fact, uh, AA, I heard that, uh, AA, if, if the person doesn't finish that's going through the process, um, if they don't take that, that 12th step, and the 12th step is after you've walked the whole process. Now you now go help somebody else walk that process. That those who go through the whole process of AA, but they don't take the last one to help somebody else, they actually relapse and go back to what they struggled before. They'll, they'll go back to the same addictions. Why? Because the, because the whole process understands that it's not just for your benefit. Now it's how can I help somebody else? And in helping somebody else, it strengthens you. It helps to remind you of where you're at. You're no longer that person. You remember the struggles they had because you used to have those, but now you're overcoming those. And the, and the, the faith journey is that exact same thing. We're saying, how can we use our lives to help others to get where we're at? So if you've struggled in your marriage, but you've gone through some, some hard times and you've worked through it, man, there's some couples in our church that are struggling in their marriage. They could sure use some advice, right, from others that have gone through that to encourage them. Because here's what happens when you're, when you're in marriage and you're struggling. You think you're the only ones that are going through that. And then you talk to somebody who's been married 20 years, like, oh, yeah, we did that like for year five, six, seven, nine, 12, 13. We made it through. And you're like, all right, I'm normal. It's not bad. Yes, there's, there's challenges that come in life at different stages. And when you get around people that can tell you, hey, you, you're not abnormal. You're not, you're not the only people that ever struggle with this. Like, we went through that. It encouraged people to know, like, oh, if they went through it, I can get through it. Uh, one of the small groups I was in, I remember this moment where one of the guys was talking about his some, some of his past and some addictions that he struggled with, and he got over it. And one of the young, young guys in the group, he says, you, you were like that? And he says, yeah. And he says, you no longer have that? And he's like, no. And he's like, oh, man, I need to talk to you because I'm in the middle of that right now. And it was a great relationship to see that they begin to say, all right, I can encourage you. I can help you to overcome those things that you're overcoming. 
So we always have to be taking steps, but then helping others take steps. Or reaching forward for, say, help me to get better. Or reaching back saying, let me help you get better. And in this dynamic of us giving and, and uh, receiving and giving, we actually become healthy and we become better in life. Um, Jim Van Yerpen, he says this about Christianity. He says, Christianity is a craft that must be learned over time. So being a, a disciple, a Jesus follower, right, it's, we're learning these skills, right, over time, a discipline with specific habits and practices that we grow into, guided by God's word, his spirit, and one another. Notice the three things he points out, and this scripture points out these things too. God's word, his Bible, right, the, the word of God that God has spoken. We learn that through reading. We learn that by coming to church. The second thing is his Holy Spirit. That's, it. that's the voice that speaks to us. That's the conviction that comes to our lives when we're off track. That's the encouragement that we need to have when, we're, when, when he's asking us to take a step of faith and do something. So it's, it's God's word. It's his spirit. And then notice the third one. It's other people. Other people. That's one of the neglected things a lot of times in our faith journey that we, we, we forget are, is really important. And in, in, in scripture, a lot of times it's put alongside those other two. Like we need people in our lives. And too many people get sucked into religion thinking, all I need to do is read my Bible and pray and go to church and everything's okay. Just between me and God, is fine. And God is saying, no, no, that's not enough. You need people around you. One, so you can get better, but then two, so you can help others. That's just how the body of Christ works. That's how it is when we're connected to each other. Um, in fact, um, when, when James says it like this, if you want forgiveness for sins, you go to God, right? That's us and God saying, God, forgive me, and we find forgiveness. But if you want healing... You have to confess to one another. There's forgiveness here, but then there's healing here. And what takes place when you confess to somebody else, you can actually begin to overcome the things in your life that you haven't overcome for a long time. And that's what it takes to overcome those things is telling others, hey, guys, can I be honest with you? I have this struggle. And they say, let us help you with that, right? Let me help you move forward in this. Proverbs 13.20 says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So if you walk with wise people, you're going to become a wise person. But if you associate with fools, you will get into trouble. The scripture says, hang out with foolish people, you're going to get in trouble. Hang out with wise people, they're going to rub off on you, you're going to become wise. Either way, somebody's rubbing off on you. Which person you're going to become depends on who you're hanging out with. Proverbs fifteen twelve says, mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. People that are foolish, they avoid wise people because they know what they're going, what they're going to tell them is the opposite of what they're doing. This is why, like, if, if you're a young person and you're hiding something from your parents or from your teacher or from an authority figure, any of us, if we're hiding something from others that care for us, that's an indication that we are doing something that we shouldn't be doing. Because otherwise, why would we be hiding it if it wasn't bad, right? But we tell ourselves, like, no, I'm just going to do my own thing. So specifically, if you're, if you're hiding from people that are wise, you're actually being a foolish person, the Bible says. If you avoid counsel from people that know more than you because you want to keep doing what you're doing, you're not being wise, you're being foolish. Because you're choosing to go with foolish people, not with wise people. First Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be fooled. If you hang out with bad company, it's going to corrupt your character. It's going to mess you up. It's going to cause you to lead to, to, to negative outcomes. Uh, there's a story um, in, in the book called uh, Boundaries, with, Boundaries for Parents or Boundaries for Kids. And uh, Dr. Henry Cloud tells a story about when he was four years old. Um, very active boy. And at four years old, he contracted a leg disease, and it, ca- it caused him to be bedridden for a while. And then eventually he was able to get in a wheelchair. And then after a while, he's finally able to get into crutches um, um, and braces and crutches on his legs to be able to, to work this, this process. And so for two years, he had braces and crutches that he was working on. Um, and when they met with the doctors, this is what the doctors told him. It's imperative to his parents. It's imperative that you don't do everything for your child. 
there's going to be this tension that you want to just help him because he's struggling because he this, because the, the disease has crippled his body. But you have to help him to keep pushing on because if you don't, he won't overcome and he'll, he'll remain weak the rest of his life. But if you remain strong and help him become strong, he'll eventually overcome this and he'll move forward with a better life. And so um, he says when he was like you know, two years in this process, around six or so, he's, he's on crutches and they're at church. And they have to go up these stairs. And so his parents are forcing him to go up these stairs right, on his crutches. And they're not helping him. They're, and he struggles and he stumbles and he, at one point he falls. And they just encourage him like, you can do it. Keep going. Keep going. And he hears a couple from behind them. It says, can you, can you believe that? Those parents are making that, that little crippled boy struggle like that. And he remembers hearing the comment of the, the couple that they made. But he always wondered, like, I wonder, I don't remember what my mom said. I wonder if she said anything. And so later on in life, he goes to his mom and he says, Mom, you're one of the most loving people. Like, and this is the question he said. He said, how in the world did you let me suffer through what I had to suffer through without uh, rescuing me? And his mom said, Emmett. And he says, Emmett? Question mark? Like, yes, Emmett. She said, every day when I had to do something I just could not face doing, I would call Emmett, cry my eyes out, and listen to her tell me that I had to do it. She would help me through each time. See, Emmett was his, his mom's best friend. And every time she faced that difficulty of, I just want to give in and help my son so that it would be easier for him. His friend's mom's friend would say, no, no, don't do that. That's the easy way out. But the end goal is not for ease, ease for him. It's for health and for strength for him. And by saying no to helping him now, you're actually helping him become better. And she would remind her of the end goal, not of the moment. All of us need friends like that in our life because at times we want to give in and just do the easy thing. And we need people to remind us and say, hey, no, no, the end goal is not the easy stuff. The end goal is health and success, right, and relationships and, and our finances. Like, keep going. Paul says, no discipline is fun in the moment. But when, it, when we see what it produces, it's always like, I'm so glad I did that. And, 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 um, and the story essentially is saying is, I'm so glad my, my mom didn't give in and just make it easy for me or I would still be crippled. But because she, she worked through that pain of saying, I'm going to do the hard thing right now. I'm going to trust that, that, that even though it's difficult, that it's going to help you in the long run. He was able to overcome and get, get better. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is why I love the message about Jesus so much. He's saying when you actually follow his example, you make this world better. You make others better. Right? He's saying when you carry somebody's burdens, you're helping them out. Uh, Emmett, his mom's best friend, was carrying her burden. So on a daily basis, maybe sometimes twice a day, three times a day, she would get that call and say, hey, stick in there. You can do this. It's for his benefit. It's not just to make it easy. Keep going. She was carrying his burden. So carrying somebody's burden doesn't mean you, you do everything for somebody else. In fact, if you read that whole chapter, uh, Paul actually at one point says, each of us should carry our own load. Like We all have this load, this, this weight that we carry in life. Like There's some things and responsibilities we have. We should do our own carrying. But if we ever encounter a burden, that's something that's a little more weighty than we can carry by ourselves. We need others to come around us. So there's people in this room that need your support and your help to come alongside and carry that burden. Uh, a few years ago, there was a lady that came to a church, and, um, and between, right before service starts, I'm, I'm out in the hall. I'm talking to her and, and asking how things are going. I've seen her for a while, and I said, how are things going? And she starts crying. And she says, well, I'm in the middle of a divorce, and it's really ugly and all this stuff. And She's crying. I'm in the hallway, and people are walking by us like, man, what did Eric say to her, right? And I'm like, I didn't know what to do in the moment. So I'm like, all right, well, um, can, I just, can I pray for you? And while I'm praying with her, this, this other person in our church, her name pops up in my mind. I'm like, huh, I need to introduce her to this lady. And so the reason it popped in my mind is because um, we had another lady that came to our church a year, a year before that had just gone through a divorce, two years of uh, – she'd been in the process for about two years or so. 
And, um, and, and I remember talking to her about the process and just the difficulty of that, right? And so I have this lady crying, and I, want, I go and introduce her to this other divorcee that has been little, she's a few stages ahead of the journey, right? So I introduce them and say, hey, I don't know, I don't know what's going to turn from this, but would you just encourage her, maybe talk to her, maybe schedule a lunch to meet together? And they said, sure, they'll do that. So they did a lunch, met together, and uh, they're still friends today. And, and, and what's really interesting is the lady that was going through the divorce, she said that that lady was a godsend. Like she was there to help me through my most difficult moments. And she encouraged me to keep going, not give up. Like it's going to be okay. And then I talked to the other lady today, actually. She says, you know, you'll never know how much good that did for me. Like, yeah, I was helping her. But in the process, God was doing something amazing in my life. That's how it works. When we're, when we're willing to reach out and help somebody else, we also get helped out. And when we're humble enough to say, I need help, we get the help we need. It's a give and take, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, this, this, this tension of saying, I want to do both. I need to do both. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. If you want a healthy community, you need to be the kind of person that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be for those that I need, and I'm going to search out for those that can help me on this journey. You want to get better in business? You have to find people that are better in business. You want to get better in finances? You need to find people that are better in finances than you are so you can learn. And then at some point, you pass on what you know to somebody else. Say, let me help you on this journey. Let me give towards you. Let me, let me do it. See, it, it may be like, it, like, say it this way. In life, we tend to wait for the person to show up. And a lot of times, the answer is we, have to, we need to become the person. And when we're faithful in this journey, God will always open the door for the next stage. So if you're single, what, what your answer is not wait for the, for the person to show up in your life, right? The answer is be the person that, you're, that the other person is looking for. Become that person. And then all of a sudden, that person shows up, and you're like, wow, where did they come from? It's because you're actually being the person, not just waiting. In life, if we'll be the person that we're hoping somebody else will come alongside, or we're doing it for somebody else, God will send the other person to us. It'll, it'll work out. It always does. In the moment we need it, God will help us on this journey. And in our church, whatever you're struggling with, I guarantee there's somebody who's either gone through it, and in many cases, they've gone through worse than you've ever gone through. And if, if you could learn from them and hear from them, it would encourage you in your journey that you're not alone. You're not the only one going through that, but there's others that can help you. So my challenge is this. All right, this is my challenge. Would you choose your climbing companions wisely because they will influence the direction and the quality of your life. Choose those that you're walking with very wisely because they're going to determine if you'll make it to the summit or not, if you're going to die in the journey or if you're going to make it all the way. So seek out those who can say, so where are you? And then be honest enough to tell them. And then at some point, would you be that person for somebody else? Like your, your climbing companions, they should be people you're helping out but then also that people are helping you out. And what's great about our church, we have a lot of people both that are doing both. You know, for some of you, maybe you've been a part of the church, and now it's your, your choice, to, your turn to say, how can I reach out and help others now? What can I do with my skills and my story to help others? And as soon as you do that, it's amazing that you begin to grow even more in the journey because you're no longer just about you, but you're saying, how can I use what I have to help others? Um, and you, would just, you, you, you allow God to work in your life. All right? This is my challenge. And I would say this, out of the 15 chapters um, and all the skills that we talked about, all the different principles, if you get this one right, all the other ones will begin to work out. Because when you have somebody that says, where are you at? And they're willing to walk with you, they'll remind you about the other skills you're, you're lacking or the other skills you need. And when you don't have that person, you'll ignore all the important principles. So my challenge is pick the people around you wisely. Young people, if, 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 if there anything I teach my kids, it would be this. Your friends matter more than you think. If you're going to be successful in life, it's because you chose the right people to be in your corner. If you're going to be successful in life, in marriage, finances, because you choose the right people. So choose wisely. Choose wisely who you have influence in your life. All right? Awesome. Hey, as we end our, our service today, 
I want to give an opportunity for those in this room that, you know, we talk about this journey of this faith journey, and it's, uh, it's, it's full of ups and downs. And the ups strengthen us, and the downs give us a rest, right? The flat times, and the, the, when you're walking down a little bit up, up that way, it can help us catch our breath. And sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's very easy. And this faith journey, is, it's an it's a, it's a ebb and flow. And if, if, you never, if you're not on this journey, I would encourage you to begin to let God lead you and guide you into it. Because it's, when you get on this journey is when the moment you'll discover why God created you in the first place. It's, it's so, so important that you would discover that and allow God to walk with you through that process. Because when you begin to live out the, the way he created you and what he created you for, you'll have more joy and fulfillment in life than just doing it your own way. And so today, some of you in this room, you're on this journey. You need to keep taking those steps. Don't stop in the process. Keep going forward. Take, go to the next stage of what he's asking you to do. Use your life to make a difference. And other of you in this room, other people in this room, you're, you're that first step, right? You're, you haven't really chosen belief yet. You haven't chosen God yet. And today I want to give you an opportunity. If that's you, You've been kind of waiting. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, but you're just, you haven't fully committed to God. And today would be your day to say, you know what, God? I need your help. And I need you to help me to find other people to help me on this journey. And you want to take that first step towards, towards God? I want to give you an opportunity right now. All right? So if, if you do me a favor, close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service. If, if you're here today and that's you, you would say, I've been doing it on my own, and I want to do it God's way. I want to invite God to lead me on this journey. I want him to be my guide, my leader. To be a Jesus follower means you follow his example. You learn the skills and the practices that he wants us to, and you, you use them and you live it out. And if that's you today, you'd like to take that step of saying, I want to start that journey. Would you do me a favor, lift your hand right where you're at? Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? A few hands going up. Choosing yes to God. Anybody else? One more time. If that's you, would you let me know you're here? Right. For you that raised your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you're a Jesus follower, would you pray with us today? If you're not praying alone, if you say this prayer with me, say, Father God, today I need your help. I admit I can't do it without you. I need you in my life. Forgive me of my past, of my mistakes, of my sin that have led me away from you. Today I choose you. Thank you for sending Jesus to give us an example of how to live. Thank you for letting him die on that cross so I can have new life. So I can have a new start. Today, I put my trust in you. Would you lead me? Help me to live for something bigger. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate those that raise their hand and pray that prayer. So good.